Chapter Thirteen of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Thirteen. A Lawyer's Good Lady. The remainder of the night passed without further alarm, but Count Victor lay only on the frontiers of forgetfulness till morning, his senses all on sentry, and the salt, wind-blown dawn found him abroad before the rest of doom was well awake. He met the Kalish of the lords, going back the way it had come with an outrider in a red jacket from the stable of Argyll. It passed him on the highway so close that he saw Elkies and Kilcarran half sleeping within as they drove away from the scene of their dreadful duties. In a cloak of rough watched blue he had borrowed from his host, and a hat less conspicuous than that he had come in from Stirling, he passed to such strangers in the locality for some taxman of the countryside or traveller like themselves to have ventured into the town however where every one would see that he was a stranger and speedily inquire into his business there was as he had been carefully apprised by doom the night before a risk too great to be run without good reason stuart's trial had created in the country a state of mind that made a stranger's presence there somewhat hazardous for himself and all the more so in the case of a foreigner for rightly or wrongly there was associated with the name of the condemned man as art and part in the murder that of a highland officer in the service of the french there had been rumours too of an attempted rescue on the part of the stewards of archiel Aknaquen, and fasnacloik all that lusty breed of the ancient train the very numbers of them said to be on the drove roads with weapons from the thatch were given in the town and so fervently believed in that the appearance of a stranger without any plausible account to give of himself would have stirred up tumult count victor eluded the more obvious danger of the town but in this forenoon ramble stumbled into one almost as great as that he had been instructed to avoid he had gone through the wood of strongara and come suddenly upon the cavalcade that bore the doomed man to the scene of his execution thirty or forty miles away the wretch had been bound upon a horse a tall middle-aged man in coarse homespun clothing his eye defiant but his countenance white with the anxieties of his situation he was surrounded by a troop of sabres the horse's hoofs made a great clatter upon the hard road and count victor walking abstractedly through the river-bank came on them before he was aware of their proximity as he stood to let them pass he was touched inexpressibly by the glance the convict gave him so charged was it with question hope dread and the appetite for some human sympathy he had seen that look before in men condemned once in front of his own rapier and with the utmost feeling for the unhappy wretch he stood when the cavalcade had gone looking after it and conjuring in his fancy the last terrible scene whereof that creature would be the central figure 
thus was he standing when another horseman came upon him suddenly following wide in the rear of the troops a civilian who shared the surprise of the unexpected meeting he had no sooner gazed upon count victor than he drew up his horse confusedly and seemed to hesitate between proceeding and retreat count victor passed with a courteous salute no less formally returned he was struck singularly by some sense of familiarity he did not know the horseman who so strangely scrutinized him as he passed but yet the face was one not altogether new to him it was a face scarce friendly too and for his life the frenchman could not think of any reason for aversion he could no more readily have accounted for the action of the horseman had he known that he had ridden behind the soldiers but a few hundred yards after meeting with count victor when he turned off at one of the hunting-roads with which the ducal grounds abounded and galloped furiously back towards the castle of argyll nothing checked him till he reached the entrance where he flung the reins to a servant and dashed into the turret-room where the duke sat writing ah sim said his grace airily yet with an accent of apprehension you have come back sooner than i looked for nothing wrong with the little excursion i hope mactaggart leaned with both hands upon the table where his master wrote they are right so far as i went with them said he but if your grace in my position came upon a foreigner in the wood of strongara a gentleman by the looks of him and a frenchman by his mustachio all alone and looking after sergeant donald's company what would your grace's inference be argyll obviously did not share much of the chamberlain's excitement there was no more than one there he asked sprinkling sand upon his finished letter no then there seems no great excuse for your extreme perturbation my good sim i'm lord of argyll but i'm not lord of the king's highway and if an honest stranger cares to take a freedman's privilege and stand between the wind and simon mactaggart's dignity simon mactaggart's very touchy dignity it would appear who am i that i should blame the liberty you did not ride ventre terre from strongera i see a foam fleck on your breeches to tell me we had a traveller come to admire our scenery come come sim i'll begin to think these late eccentricities of yours these glooms abstractions errors and anxieties and indispositions and above all that pallid face of yours are due to some affair of the heart as he spoke argyll pinched his kinsman playfully in the ear quite the good companion with none of the condescension that a duke might naturally display in so doing mactaggart reddened and argyll laughed ah he cried can i have hit it then he went on quizzing the chamberlain see that you give me fair warning and i'll practise the accustomed and essential reel upon my soul i haven't danced since lady mary left unless you call it so that foolish minuet you should have seen her grace at st james's last month gad she footed it like an angel there's not a better dancer in london town see that your wife's a dancer whoever she may be sim let her dance and sing and play the harpischord or the classach they are charms that will last longer than her good looks 
and will not weary you so soon as the intellect that's so much in fashion nowadays when every woman listens to every clear thing you say that she may say something cleverer or perhaps retail it later as her own mactaggart turned about impatiently poked with his riding-crop at the fire and plainly indicated that he was not in the mood for badinage all that has nothing to do with my frenchman your grace said he bluntly oh confound your frenchman retorted the duke coming over turning up the skirts of his coat and warming himself at the fire don't say frenchman to me and don't suggest any more abominable crime and intrigue till the memory of that miserable appen affair is of my mind i know what they'll say about that i have a good notion what they're saying already as if i personally had a scrap of animosity to this poor creature sent to the gibbet on levenside i think you should have this frenchman arrested for inquiry i do not like the look of him argyll laughed heavens he cried is the man gain what have you any charge against this unfortunate foreigner who has dared to shelter himself in my woods and if you have do you fancy it is the old feudal times with us still and that i can clap him in my dungeon if i had such a thing without any consultation with the common-law officers of the land wake up sim wake up this is fifty-five and there are sundry written laws of the state that unfortunately prevent even the mccallan moor snatching a man from the footpath and hanging him because he has not the gaelic accent and wears his hair in a different fashion from the rest of us don't be a fool cousin don't be a fool it's as your grace likes said mactaggart but if this man's not in any way concerned in the appen affair he may well be one of the french agents who are bargaining for men for the french service and the one thing's as unlawful as the other by the act of thirty-six huh said argyll turning more grave and shrewdly eyeing his chamberlain huh have you any particularly good reason to think that he waited for no answer but went on i give it up mactaggart said he with a gesture of impatience god i cannot pretend to know half the plots you are either in yourself or listening on the outside of though i get credit i know for planning them all i want to know is have you any reason to think this part of scotland and incidentally the government of this and every well-governed realm as the libels say would be bettered by the examination of this man eh mactaggart protested the need was claimant on the look of the man i would give him the jugs said he it's spy huh said argyll then coughed discreetly over a pinch of snuff spy or agent said the chamberlain little abashed at the interjection and yet a gentleman by the look of him said sim mactaggart five minutes sign and what's to prevent that asked the chamberlain almost sharply your grace will admit it's nothing to the point said he boldly and smilingly standing up a fine figure of a man with his hat high and his chest out it was the toss of a bauby whether or not i should apprehend him myself when i saw him and if i had him here your grace would be the first to admit my discretion 
my grace is a little more judicious than to treat the casual pedestrian like a noter thief said argyll and yet after all i dare say the matter may be left to your good judgment that is after you have had a word or two on the matter with petullo who will better be able to advise upon the rights of the persons of suspicious characters in our neighbourhood with never a word more said mactaggart clapped on his hat withdrew in an elation studiously concealed from his master and fared at a canter to petullo's office in the town he fastened the reins to the ring at the door and entered the lawyer sat in a den that smelt most wickedly of mildewed vellum sealing-wax tape and all that trash that smothers the soul of man the appurtenances of his craft he sat like a sallow mummy among them like a half-made man of tailor's patches flanked by piles of docketed letters and records closed bastioned by deed-boxes blazoned with the indication of their offices mcgibbon's mortification dunderf estate coyle's trust and so on he sat with a shrieking quill among these things and mactaggart entering to him felt like thanking god that he had never been compelled to a life like this in a stinking mortuary with the sun outside on the windows and the clean sea and the singing wood calling in vain perhaps some sense of contrast seized the writer too as he looked up to see the chamberlain entering with a pleasant lively air of wind behind him and health and vigour in his step despite the unwonted wanness of his face at least in the glance petullo gave below his shaggy eyebrows there was a little envy as well as much cunning he made a ludicrous attempt at smiling ha huh, he cried mr mactaggart glad to see you mr mactaggart sit you down mr mactaggart i was just thinking about you no ill i hope said the chamberlain refusing a seat proffered for anything of the law to him seemed gritty in the touch and a three-legged stool would he always felt be as unpleasant to sit upon as a red-hot griddle teehee squeaked petullo with an irritating falsetto you must have your bit joke mr mactaggart did his grace did his grace i was just wondering if his grace said anything to-day about my unfortunate accident with the compotius train he looked more cunningly than ever at the chamberlain in his grace's class mr petullo and incidentally in my own nothing is said of a guest's gawkiness though you might hardly believe it for a reason that i never could make plain to you though i know it by instinct oh as to gawkiness an accident of the like might happen to any one said petullo irritably and that's true confessed the chamberlain but tut tut mr petullo a compote is neither here nor there to the duke if he had spilled two of them it would have made no difference there was plenty left never mind the dinner mr petullo just now i'm in a haste there's a frenchman there's a wean of frenchmen seemingly said the writer oraculously taking to the trimming of his nails with a piece of pumice stone he kept for the purpose and used so constantly that they looked like talons now what the devil do you mean cried mactaggart 
go on go on with your business squeaked petullo with an eye upon an inner door that led to his household i have his grace's instructions to ask you about the advisability of arresting a stranger seemingly a frenchman who is at this moment suspiciously prowling about the policies on what not charge mr mactaggart on what not charge asked the writer taking a confident even an insolent tone now that he was on his own familiar ground rape arson forgery robbery thigging sorning pickery murder or high treason clap them all together mr petullo and just call it local inconductiveness cried mactaggart simply the duke may not care for his society that should be enough for the fiscal and long davy the dempster shouldn't it huh said petullo it's a bit vague mr mactaggart and i don't think it's mentioned in forbes's institutes fifteen campbell assessors and the baron bailey might have sent a man to the plantations on that ditty ten years ago but we live in different times mr mactaggart different times mr mactaggart repeated the writer tee-heeing till his bent shoulders heaved under his seedy ink-stained surtout coat do we cried the chamberlain with a laugh i'm thinking you forget a small case we had no further gone than yesterday when a man with the unlucky name of stuart he stopped meaningly smiled and made a gesture with his fingers across his neck at the same time giving an odd sound with his throat oh you're an awful man cried petullo with the accent of a lout i wonder if you're on the same track as myself for i'm like the highland soldier i have a frenchman of my own there's one i mean up by there in doom and coming down here to-morrow or the day after or as soon as i can order a lodging for him in the town oh hell cried the secretary amazingly dumbfounded there's nothing underhand about him so far as i know to give even his grace an excuse for confining him for it seems he's a wine merchant out of bordeaux one montaillon come here on business and stopped at doom through an attack on his horse by the same macfarlanes who are of interest to us for another reason as was spoken of at his grace's table last night and he's coming here asked mactaggart incredulous i had a call from the baron himself to-day to tell me that how ah, well there's no more to be said of our suspicions said mr mactaggart not in this form at least and he was preparing to go a skirt rustled within the inner door and mrs petullo flushed a little to her great becoming in spite of a curl-paper or two and clad in a lilac-coloured negligee of the charmingest came into the office with a well-acted start of surprise to find a client there oh good morning mr mactaggart she exclaimed radiantly while her husband scowled to himself as he relapsed into his chair at the desk and fumbled with his papers good morning i hope i have not interrupted business mr mactaggart was just going my dear said mr petullo a cracked bell rang within and the chamberlain perceived an odour of cooking celery inwardly he cursed his forgetfulness because it was plain that the hour of his call upon the writer was ill-chosen my twelve hours is unusually sharp to-day said petullo consulting a dumpy horloge out of his fob would ye would ye do me the honour of joining me
with a tone that left but not too rudely immediate departure as the chamberlain's only alternative thank you thank you said mactaggart i rose late to-day and my breakfast's a little more than done with he made for the door mrs petullo close in his cry and holding his eye defying so hurried a departure while she kept up a chattering about last night's party her husband hesitated but his hunger he had the voracious appetite of such shrivelled atomies and a wholesome fear of being accused of jealousy made him withdraw leaving the office to the pair all mactaggart's anger rose against madame for her machination you saw me from the window said he it's a half-cooked dinner for the good man to-day i'll warrant she laughed a most intoxicating laugh all charged with some sweet velvety charm put out her hands and caught his oh lord i wish it would choke him sim said she fervently then lifted up her mouth and dropped a swooning eyelash over her passionate orbs adorable creature he thought she'll have rat-bane in his broth some day he kissed her with no more fervour than if she had been a wooden figurehead but she was not thus to be accepted she put an arm quickly round his neck and pressed her passionate lips to his back he drew wincing oh damnation he cried what's the matter she exclaimed in wonder and turned to assure herself that it was not that some one spied from the inner door for mactaggart's face had become exceedingly pale nothing nothing he replied you are you are so ferocious am i sim said she who taught me oh sim she went on pleadingly be good to me i'm sick i'm sick of life and you don't show you care for me a little bit do you love me sim heavens he cried you would ask the question fifty times a day if you had the opportunity it would need a hundred times a day to keep up with your changing moods do you love me sim she was smiling with the most pathetic appeal in her face you look beautiful in that gown kate said he irrelevantly not looking at it at all but out at the window where showed the gabbards tossing in the bay and the sides of the hill of dunquark all splashed with gold and crimson leafage never mind my gown sim said she stamping her foot and pulling at the buttons of his coat once oh sim do you love me tell me tell me tell me whether you do or not say it you used to be such a splendid liar it was no lie said he curtly then to himself oh lord give me patience with this and i have brought it on myself it was no lie oh sim and she was turning weary eyes upon the door that led to her husband's retirement it was no lie you are left neither love nor courtesy oh never mind say you love me sim whether it's true or not that's what it's come to with me of course i do said he of course what of course i love you he smiled but at heart he grimaced i don't believe you said she from custom waiting his protestation but the duke's chamberlain was in no mood for protestations 
he looked at her high temples made bald by the twisted peplots and wondered how he could have thought that bald shoulder beautiful i'm in a great hurry kate said he sorry to go but there's my horse at the ring to prove the hurry i'm in i know i know you're always in a hurry now with me it wasn't always so do you hear the brute her husband's squeaky voice querulously shouting on a servant came to them from behind the servant immediately came after to the door with an intimation that mr petullo desired to know where the spirit bottle was he knows very well said mrs petullo here's the key no i'll take it to him myself it's not the drink he wants but me the pig said she as the servant withdrew kiss me good afternoon sim i wish to god it was good-bye thought he as he smacked her vulgarly like a clown at a country fair she drew her hand across her mouth and her eyes flashed indignation there's something between us simon said she in an altered tone it used not to be like that indeed it did not he thought bitterly and not for the first time he missed something in her some spirit of simplicity freshness flower-bloom and purity that he had sought for seen in many women and found elusive as the frost finds the bloom of flowers he would begem her husband shrieked again and with mute gestures they parted the chamberlain threw himself upon his horse as it were a mortal enemy duck rolled deep in the shuddering flesh and the hoof-beats thundered on the causey stones the beast whinnied in its pain reared and backed to the breast wall of the bay he lashed it wildly over the eyes with his whip and they galloped up the roadway a storm of fury possessed him he saw nothing heard nothing End of chapter thirteen